Good morning. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And Psalms 51, 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. John 14, 27 says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Psalms 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And Matthew 5, 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Proverbs 23, 26. Oh, my son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Chris. Welcome to Living Stone. Um, if you're visiting with us, we are so glad you're here this morning. Um, we're kind of in the middle of our essential series. Every year we revisit, kind of come back to refocusing what are, what are we really about as a church body? What are we supposed to be doing? Where is our focus supposed to be? Um, we live in a world that continues to feed us information at an incredible rate. You read things and it pulls you one way and pulls you another way and pulls you another way and your mind can be just set spinning and sometimes we can actually get ready to come in on a Sunday morning and go, why am I even doing this? Like, there's so many other things going on in my world. Why am I even taking the time out to gather together in this larger setting? What is the church supposed to be? Is it, is it all about the Sunday morning? Is it about the week? What, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? And, you know, once again, I was asked this morning of um, some, from some friends I haven't seen in a while, you know, how was my sabbatical? And it just was just this continual reminder that during my sabbatical this year, God really did a number on my heart and a number on my wife's heart and, and just really refocused and said, you know, Scott, there's all these great cutesy sayings out there about churches and all these wonderful things and witty things that people have come up with. But I just really felt a pull and a tug to go back to the words of Jesus. It's his words that change people's lives. And so I was like, you know what? Let's get, just get back to it. And Jesus in the great commandment said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Great Commission, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all to observe all that I have commanded you, even to the end of the age. So these are the things that Jesus said is the most important. I mean, the Great Commission happens as the final words in the Gospel of Matthew. 
Like, because Jesus is the Messiah, because he is the promised one of God, this is what we're supposed to do. And this isn't just a suggestion. And, and I want us to be really clear about this. If you are here this morning and you claim to be a child of God, and you claim that you have a relationship with God Almighty, then, then guess what? This isn't just a mere, like, if you feel like doing this, do it. And I'm going to be blunt with you this morning and say to you, God really doesn't give your, a rat's tail about your opinion on this matter. Amen. He said, love him, love people, and make disciples. Amen. And it's like this three-legged stool that I described a couple weeks back. If you don't love God, the stool doesn't work, right? You're going to fall over. If you don't love people, you're going to fall over. If you don't make disciples, you're going to fall over. And you can't say, I love God if you don't make disciples. Because if you don't make disciples, then you're in disobedience to God. And you're disobedience to his commands for your life. You see, God doesn't put us on this earth to be great bankers, to be great architects, to be great engineers, to be great uh, medicine, people of medicine and medical practice. He, he puts us here to be glorifying him by loving God, loving people and making disciples. That's why you're here. All those other things that you do are given to you to glorify him with. All those other occupations, the families that we're given, we're not put here to be fathers and wives and, 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 and we're not that, we were put here to be glorifiers of God. Amen. Now, one of the ways we get to glorify God as be by being fathers, by being wives, by being parents, by being grandparents. We glorify God through those things, but we are not put here for that purpose. Our identity is children of God. Our identity is his servants. Baptizing into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to be baptized into, immersed in, continually throughout our lives, immersed in this identity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And because God is Father, we're a family. Because God is, Jesus Christ came and he was a suffering servant, we're going to be servants of the Almighty God and King. And because he gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, we are sent people, we're his missionaries. So we're a family of servant missionaries. That's who we are. And you're like, man, Scott, you're coming at us pretty heavy this morning to start off with. I just want you to understand something. Like, we have been given the gift of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26. We were once all a people of stone cold hearts. You know, not like stone cold the wrestler, okay? You know, but we were people who had hearts that could do nothing to please God. And God said, back in the Old Testament, I'm going to do this wonderful thing and I'm going to change those hearts of stone, of cold, of not being able to do anything to please me. And I'm going to change their hearts to become hearts of flesh, of mendable, moldable hearts that can actually glorify my name. And God has done that because of the work of Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age that gets to look back and see Christ and see the cross and see the resurrection and see the ascension. It is historical. It is factual. It took place. We live in a day and age of much greater accountability, brothers and sisters, because Christ has come. And Christ said, love God, love people, and make disciples. Now, one of the things that you may be wondering about and, and thinking about what does it look like for us to make disciples? Well, before we dive into 
some examples this morning. And there is a book um, that I highly recommend. We actually have copies of it in our, in our uh, office. If you'd like to come by and grab some copies, we can order more. It's called, Light, uh, it's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. I've read a lot of books on discipleship. It is one of the best books on discipleship out there. Just is. It's a great book. And I would encourage you to pick it up and read it. We're going to be highlighting some of the things in that book over the next three weeks. One of the things he spends the first like six or seven chapters of his book talking about, like before we can start thinking about what it looks like for us to go make disciples, we have to understand what the target is. And I think we discover the target in the Great Commission excuse me, in the great commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, or might, or power. And we talked about this being kind of this, this circle, if you will, here. That God initially comes in and he changes our heart. So I want you to understand, you cannot love God this morning. You cannot experientially know God this morning if God has not gotten a hold of your heart and changed it and, and shown that you are a disobedient, sorry, sinner person. And you've repented, and you said the only way my sin can ever be forgiven is through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Well, God does that work on our heart initially. He takes it from a heart of stone and a heart of flesh, so that now we can start to begin to love God. And we will spend the rest of our Christian lives surrendering our hearts to God. Every area, every aspect of our heart, taking everything that we are and surrendering it to him and placing it at his feet and gaining an understanding of what life looks like in light of him. So what should the target be then if we are desiring to make disciples? It should be the heart. It should be the heart. But what often takes place when we start thinking about making disciples is we don't, we don't think about the heart necessarily because let's, let's be honest, to go after people's hearts is messy and it's hard to determine and we're, we're a good uh, Greek thinking society. We like steps, like steps one, two, three. Like, I know I'm a good Christian if I accomplish this, if I accomplish that, if I stop doing this, and I stop doing that, right? And so we want to help people disciple, so disciple them to the Lord. Well, if you stop doing these things, then you're going to draw closer to the Lord, which is actually not the case. When we see here, so let's say we go after somebody's soul or their, their body. Like, you know what? If you would just lose 20 pounds you'd be a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ. If you would just adopt the right diet, you know, go, go, and I'm not picking on anybody here, but if you know, go vegan or go, go gluten-free or go meat-free or like, I don't know all the particular names for all this stuff, right? Right? Um, and if you would just do all these things, you would have a healthier body. Your life would be healthier. If you would just exercise more, you'd be a, you'd be a better Christian. No, that, that, that's not what, what God's going at. Well, maybe if we did the whole might thing, right? If, if we went after everything, people's immaterial, material possession, if you would just use your gifts for God's glory and stop glorifying yourself with your gifts. If you would just start using your car, your house for God's will and God's purposes. If you'd start giving more to the church. If you'd start volunteering more of your time to other things, then, then, then you would be a better Christian. And, and that's what the church, I grew up in churches that taught that stuff. 
that you could literally, if, if you sprayed a black light over the wall, it would reveal the, the rules of being part of a church. There were this hidden, hidden secret rules of, you know, this is what it looks like to be a really, truly great Christian. You'll stop drinking, stop smoking. If it's, music's got a beat to it, it's bad. Like, seriously, this is what I grew up with. And my parents were like, this is what they were taught. It wasn't, we didn't talk a lot about changing one's heart, but we talked a lot about external action. Brothers and sisters, if we truly want to see disciples made for Jesus Christ, we have to go after people's hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus goes after. You know, he sits down with with a woman at the well, right? Does he start ripping on her from the get-go? You know what? You've had so many husbands and you're, you're just a nasty girl. No, he begins talking to her and addressing to her where she at. Does, does it get to that point where he does reveal to her how many husbands she's had and the man that she's now living with is not her husband? Yes, but he does so revealing that he is the Messiah, the Christ, and his, she is, he is the one that is able to overcome her sins and her struggles. You see, Jesus was very much about going after people's hearts. We read in Matthew Chapter 6, verse 21, this is how significant the heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers. Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can sit there and tell our kids not to use cuss words till we're blue in the face. But until our kids understand in their hearts, like if we train up their hearts to follow after God and have a heart for God and God all, and they're starting to realize how it grieves God and how they, if they're a child of God, they want to love God and want to pursue God because of what God done for them. And then that these words offend God, then guess what? Then their, their speech is changed, not because we're writing a rule on the board, but because God is convicting their hearts and they're being changed. Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15, 18, and 19, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Matthew 18, 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Why does Jesus begin with the heart? Because the heart is this birthplace of so much evil. We, we can fake the funk. We can come in on a Sunday morning and we can smile and we can lift our hands and we can put money in the offering plate and we can help people up and down the stairs and we can go out and smile and leave and be like, man, you know, and and people could think, man, they're the greatest Christian ever and we wouldn't know. But the bottom line, God's like, you know what? But it's all going to be consumed one day. 
I was listening to a pastor this week and in one of his sermons, it was beautiful. He was talking about the consuming fire that when at the end of the days, the end of ages, all that we've done for God is going to go through this, this, this refining fire. And you know what? You may have faked the funk, but all that faking, if your heart is not changed by God, if your heart isn't to please God, to pursue God, to glorify God, then all that stuff's going to be burned up and be tossed away and you'll be left with, with nothing here at the end of the age. But what's really cool is he was talking about, but that suffering that we get to do for God here and we do it with a joyful heart and right now that suffering looks yucky and it's, it's ugly and it feels hard to go through. But when it's refined by God, refined by that finer's fire, it becomes this beautiful luster, gold, diamond-like, brilliant, shining object. Because the real truth of what that suffering and what we went through and how we love God through it is revealed and glorifies God. It's not for our reward, but it's for the glory to God. You see, God wants your heart. God wants to, he wants to take those burdens and those hurts and those struggles and those heartaches and he wants to take them from you and he wants to say, you know what, I died. I died upon the cross so you wouldn't have to carry those things no more. He says it in the, the, the Lord's Prayer, which I like to call the Disciples' Prayer because God, Jesus really didn't need to pray it himself, but he did it as an example for us to pray. He says, you forgive others your, their debts as your debts have been forgiven against you. Like we have no right to hold over anything over anybody else because we have been forgiven much. And when we hold things over other people, we fail to realize how much we've been forgiven. Amen. Like Jesus wants to take that off. So we have these hearts that are soft and tender and moldable for God so that we can live for God, so that we can be disciples of God. The heart is essential. And making disciples. If we don't have a heart and a love for God, brothers and sisters, we can't make disciples for Jesus. And if we do go out to make disciples for Jesus, we'll fail because what we'll do is we'll recreate ourselves instead of recreating what Jesus wants in other people's lives. This is a lifetime of surrender to God. That's why that prayer, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. This is the idea is like, don't ask for the month or the week or the year. Daily come before God. Be relying on God to continually to bring your burdens before him, to continue to lay down your struggles and your hurts. This is, a, this is a daily thing that we must be doing so that we can be people who pursue other people's hearts. So when we talk about disciple making, I want to make it very clear. We're not talking about behavior change. And that's hard. We're talking about bringing the gospel to other people's hearts so their hearts may be changed by God so the Holy Spirit can convict, so the Holy Spirit can incorporate change in their lives. And yes, will behaviors change when their hearts change? According to the scriptures, absolutely. But if we go about facilitating, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix that person. We say that about our wives and husbands a lot, don't we? Yeah, I'm going to fix that person, right? Don't ever get married thinking you're going to fix that person, okay? You know, that's just a bad way to start off, okay? But if we go after, like, I want to see that person's heart in love with Jesus, that's the target. That's the goal. And for us as parents and you as grandparents out there, that's your goal. 
Go after those little hearts. It's hard. It's messier. Because they're going to break your heart in the process. People are going to sin against you and you're going to have to continue to lay that before God as you pursue their hearts. And, and you're not going to have this, oh great, I've arrived moment. It's going to be a perpetual lifelong journey with people and you're going to come alongside them and they're going to see clear moments of victory and you're like, and then you're going to have other moments where like, man, has their heart been changed at all? But you've got to trust in who? God. Because he's the one doing the changing. Our job is to bring the gospel and not get in the way of the gospel. But the Holy Spirit is the one that is working within them to change their heart and their life. And it's our job to walk alongside of them, to be an example to them, and to continue to remind them of God's word, to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And when what we see is when that heart is changed, it affects how we view our bodies because we no longer see our bodies as just this, this fleshly thing, but we see our bodies as something to be used for the glory of God. Now, we don't worship our bodies, but we see that, yes, what, I can take care of my body because why, why does God want me to take care of my body so that I can glorify him with it? And then we also see that it affects our might, our, all the things that we have, material and immaterial. We see that all that we've been given, our gifts, our abilities, our possessions, all those things, when our hearts change before God, we start seeing that, hey, that is an opportunity to glorify God. He's given me those things to glorify him. But that all begins as God changes and shapes our hearts. I hope you're starting to get an understanding of why it's so important that when we start talking about making disciples, it begins by understanding we're going after people's hearts. For a long time, the church, I'm afraid, went after saying if we could just change their behavior. No, that's legalism, that's moralism, that's religiosity. The world's replete, full of it. And people in this day and age, you go talk to a millennial, millennials are seeing right through it. And they'll tell it to you to your face. They're pretty blunt about it. And I'm glad, because now we can have real conversations. You're right, we did. For a long time, we focused on that. But guess what? God wants your heart. Let's not talk about what your sexual behaviors are. Let's not talk about your drug behaviors. Not talk about your psychological issues. Let's talk about what God, God wants your heart. And God is powerful and big enough that when he gets a hold of your heart, those other things, he'll deal with. But we got to go after people's hearts. And that's hard because people are struggling with things we don't understand. Because we don't have that same struggle. But we need to go after their heart. So how do we go after people's hearts? How do we help people surrender their hearts to Jesus? It's very clear that God has commanded us to love our neighbor as ourselves. What, we, what I, Piper was very helpful in, in this understanding that we, as we want a deep, loving, committed relationship with God, we want our neighbors, our friends, to have a deep, loving, committed relationship to God as well. As we want it, as we desire it, we desire it for other people. But let me tell you something. I want to warn you. Big warning sign. If your desires, if God's putting somebody in your mind right now, like I want to start discipling that person, whether it's a believer or not yet a believer. I'm warning you right now. 
you have to begin with a heart for them. You have to love them. And you have to pray for God to help you love them in a very deep agape way. Because they're going to hurt you. They're going to say things that aren't easy. And you're going to have to remain there and keep walking alongside of them and loving them and being that example of Jesus Christ to them. It is essential. So I'm going to give you four things. And if you make take notes, these will be helpful for you this morning. These are from Tripp's book on Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands on how to love people. The first thing that we need to do, the way we love people is by entering into the person's world. Jesus was great at this. Jesus was great at going to the places nobody else wanted to go to. Jesus was great about touching the people that nobody else wanted to touch. The lepers, the unclean, sitting down with a Samaritan woman, a half-breed woman who was disgusting in the Jewish society of that day, been married four times, living with a guy that's not her husband, just gross. Jesus was in the business of going to those places and entering into their worlds and loving them. Now, when we talk about entering their worlds, and I want to be careful here, you're not talking about joining in them in their sin. That's not what I'm saying. So hear me clearly there. Like, don't go, don't go, don't go like, oh, the they're person struggling with alcohol, I'm going to go struggle with alcohol with them and that way I'll win their heart. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being present. Brothers and sisters, we can't be present with people if all we do is come to church, go to our homes, and go to our favorite hangouts, and come home. We have to enter into the world that God has placed us in. If God has placed you in Chelan, as hard as that is this time of year, because of all the things and activities that are going on, don't be dismayed. Don't be resolved to just hide out in your house until October comes. I'm, and I'm serious. Like, God has mission for you right now. God has people that need to be loved by you right now. And he's calling you to go enter into their world. And it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you, you know, your gifts, your talents. It's going to cost you things to love people like this. But if we're Christians, and Christian means Christ follower, right? What did it cost Christ? So you see, this isn't home, brothers and sisters. If we're living for comfort here, then we're not living for eternity. Because eternity is comfort beyond comfort imaginable. It's going to be amazing. This is the world that we live in. And we're called to suffer for Jesus here as he suffered for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because people are dying without Christ. Love God, love people, make disciples. It's not a suggestion. It's a command, but we must enter into people's worlds. Next, we must incarnate the love of Christ. If you've got your Bibles, open those up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 12 to 17. Colossians is in the New Testament, part of those prison epistles that Paul wrote while he was in jail. I always remember them by go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? Go eat popcorn. I don't particularly like popcorn, but okay. All right. Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Underline that. Just, just underline that. Hear that this morning. It's not a suggestion. God doesn't say forgiveness is optional. No. It's mandatory. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Brothers and sisters, we're called to be a people that represents Christ to this world. Because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We get to be these kind of people to the world that we live in. You know, we get to be people that can, get, can be offended and be okay with it. We, we don't have to sit here and defend ourselves because God in heaven for defends us. We get to be the people that are poured out into this world and used for God's glory and purpose with joy in our hearts. And we get to forgive people as we have been forgiven. I mean, if you ever wonder, like maybe, maybe it'd be just great if we just all spent a week just praying, God, let me see myself from your perspective. And maybe we might think it's a little bit easier to forgive. Because brothers and sisters, we have been forgiven of much and still are forgiven of much. So we can forgive. So we can be patient and we can be kind and we can be meek and we can be humble and we can serve God this way in front of others as we disciple people's hearts so that guess what? When people come to faith in Christ and when they grow up in Christ, they understand that my role in this world is not to have it all and to protect it all. My role in this world is to give it all away for the glory of God. Because guess what? We don't get to take any of it with us when we go. Next, he says that the way in which we are to love the people that we're discipling is by identifying with suffering. I was having a conversation with someone close to me, and they so amazingly confessed to me, like, I don't suffer well. I think this person suffers better than they think they do. But I hear what she's saying. And I think that's a lot for a lot of people. We don't suffer well. We think that I, I shouldn't have to suffer. I, I shouldn't have to go through this. I shouldn't have to have this hard time. I don't deserve this. You know, God uses suffering in the lives of his believers, his children, to grow us up in him, to mature us in him. It often reveals places in our hearts where we don't worship God and we are worshiping something else. It exposes places in our hearts where we haven't forgiven. God uses suffering 
so that we can grow up in him. You see, the beautiful thing about our God is he wastes nothing. His kingdom economics waste nothing. And you think you're going through something in your life and this is just meaningless. This is just stupid. Not in God's perspective. God is using it to hone you, shape you, so you will give him more glory. And not just for you. We, we are such an individualistic society that we think that what I'm going through is just for me. Wrong answer. We are part of the body of Christ. And it's being used also to minister to the body of Christ. So what you're going through, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I love my, my, some of the men in this room, I love you dearly. But you're going through things and you're, you're like, ah, I'm going to have surgery or I've got this thing going on. So I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't want to feel like, you know, I, everybody needs to be praying for me. Are you kidding me? God gave you that so that we could all, as a body of Christ, join together, lift you up before God, and so that we can all rejoice and praise in what God does. But if we don't share our burdens with each other, we're going to get a worship like that. So let's stop with the egotistic, machoism stuff, men. And let's start bringing our, our requests and our petitions before the body of Christ so that we can be there for each other. And ladies, some of you are just as guilty. But... What's cool is our identify, as God takes us through suffering, he gives us a new story. And it's a story where in which he's the hero of. See, that's a good suffering story. But a bad suffering story is this, it's all about me, how I endured, how I came through this, and how I, I personally persevered. But a good suffering story is God took me through this time. I understood who he is, his power, his might, his majesty is bigger to me than it ever was before. He's so good. And I praise him for that time of suffering. And I wouldn't want to have missed it for the world. Because if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't know him the way I know him now. God gives us those suffering stories so that we can identify with people in suffering. So that when God puts somebody in front of us who's going through a hard time and a trial, we can sit there and listen to them and we can weep with them and we can mourn with them and we can say, you know, that there's hope in this story and they look at you like you're nuts. And then you can share how God brought you through suffering and how you look back at it and it is not for, for loss, it is not for nothing, but it has purpose and significance because God drew you closer to him and God can do the same thing for them. We can identify people in their suffering. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 11, stresses that. I want you to write that down and, and read that this week. The final one that he says here this morning is that we're to love people by accepting with agenda. Now that sounds kind of weird. That seems like, what is this, a bait and hook and you know what, what we're trying to do here. No, it, we accept where they're at. We're accepting that, you know, they got, they're messy, they got stuff going on in their lives, they got sin, they got habits, they got things that are going on that are actually damaging and hurtful to them, but we're going to accept them in that moment and love them with an agenda of bringing the gospel to that situation, with an agenda of saying, you know what, I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm not going to sit here and say, you need to stop sleeping with your boyfriend. I'm not saying you're going to need to move out. I'm not saying you need to stop eating that. I'm not saying you need to quit smoking or quit drinking. I'm saying I'm going to love you. I'm going to be present with you, and I'm going to walk alongside you, and I'm going to bring Jesus Christ to this situation, to this circumstance with the, my heart desire of Jesus changing your heart. Because again, 
If we just want to, you know, stop listening to rock and roll, stop doing this, stop doing the other things. Like, no. Because if their heart's not changed, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to it. Or worse, they're going to become this legalist who's, who thinks that they're going to heaven, but heart has never been changed by God. And there are people in the church like that. They do a lot of right things, good things. They're good people, but they're going to hell. When Jesus, that is a terrifying scene. When the scriptures talk about the end of the age and people coming up, like walking to walk through those pearly gates and Jesus says, what are you doing? I don't know you. Depart from me. They did good things. They were good people. They served as deacon and deaconesses on board. Some served as elders. Some are pastors of churches. But they never surrendered their heart to God. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to love people. He wants us to enter into people's circumstances and situations and be present. And it's going to cost you. It's going to be hard. And I encourage you not to do it by yourself. That's why our life groups are so important because as we go out and make disciples, it's supposed to be at this safe place. We come back to you and pray for one another and care for one another and lift each other up and encourage one another. We got to enter into life with these people. We need to walk alongside them. We need to accept them with this agenda of bringing the gospel to bear. And it's going to be hard. It's going to push you because you're going to have to be like, man, I really want to fix them. Like, I've got this platitude that if I just said this, I know, oh, the Shekinah glory of God's going to come down in that moment if I just said this beautiful little thing. And then we say it and nothing happens. And we're like, I guess I need to go back to square one and just be present with them, walk with them, show the, the glory of God and how God's changing our lives and how God loves them even in the midst of their circumstance and it gives them, provides hope for them if they would just surrender their hearts to him. Yes. You see, this is what we're called to. This is why we exist. We don't exist to engineers, pastors, parents, grandparents, bankers, lawyers, doctors, electricians, HVAC system guys, like National Forest people, like we don't exist for that. We weren't made for that. We were made to glorify him. We were made to make disciples, to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. That's what we were made for. Now, I want to encourage you this morning. You may be freaking out a little bit, and that's a great place to be, because guess what? You're going to hopefully want to draw into Jesus. You're going to want to lean into Jesus and say, okay, God, you made me for this. I want to start doing what does it look like. And if that's where you're at, this is a great place to be. But guess what that it shows? That shows that you need to be discipled. It shows that you need to be a regular part of gathering with other believers outside of a Sunday morning where you're having conversations, because this is really isn't a conversation, is it? This is like a lecture, right? I'm just like lecturing you right now, right? No, but you need to be part of a place where you can have conversations and get into word together with people and dive in together and struggle in this, living this out together. You see, our life groups aren't holy huddles. They're not just Bible studies, but they're intended to be a place where a space where people are coming together to love God, love people, and make disciples together. 
And if you want to know more about those, Cindy, raise your hand. Cindy's right there. Cindy's our deaconess of life groups, and we would love to talk with you about how to get you into one of those. It's, we believe it's a really important part of growing in the Christian faith. Because us out there on our own trying to do this, I think we're going to see really quickly we're going to wear out. And we're going to get worn down. But with the body of Christ, with other believers around us, encouraging each other, lifting each other up, we can stay in this together. You were made for this. This is what God designed you for. This is what God purposed you for. You being here in Chelan is not a mistake. You visiting on this Sunday is not a mistake. You may be able to go, okay, I got to go home and I got to start doing this. And I got to gather some other believers in my church body and and we got to go start doing this. Praise God. And we got to be part of that journey. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have made us with such a great intended purpose that we get to be your ambassadors. We get to represent you to this world. What a privilege, what an honor. And Lord God, are we going to need the full grace of God to do this? And we thank you that God's grace is abundant. Your grace is overflowing. We thank you that Jesus Christ continues to intercede on our behalf because we're going to want to manipulate people. We're going to want to twist people. Instead of going after their hearts, we're going to want to change them by, by platitudes and by great wisdom that we think we have that is separate from you, Lord God, which is only devastating to the hearts of men. And we're going to need your grace and we're going to need your forgiveness, Lord, in those moments. And Father God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. I thank you for Jesus Christ, who was so patient. We don't even get how patient Jesus was. Day in and day out, walking with his disciples and guys that just struggled to get it. But Jesus appropriately was with them and spoke to them and addressed their hearts right where they were at. And he loved them. Jesus loved his disciples. And he rejoiced that none of them were lost except for the one as he prayed to the Father in the garden. Father God, thank you that we get to be part of this incredible plan to see the kingdom of God spread on this earth through the church. Lord God, as we battle in our minds and our hearts, like how do we have time to do this? Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us and, and, and reveal to us like the, the jobs that we have are not a mistake, that we get to disciple people around us in those jobs. The kids that we have are not a mistake. We get to disciple our kids. Lord God, and I pray that the neighbors that we have, the, the, those mornings that we get to wave at them, Lord, I think we, I pray that would, would move from just a wave to a walking over to inviting them in for dinner. And may we listen well, God, please. May we listen well. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.